is brought to you by Marlboro Filter Cigarettes. Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro Country. By Pepsi-Cola. You've got a lot to live. Pepsi's got a lot to give. By the Con Edison Company, serving 8,900,000 customers in New York and Westchester. And by original Pat Blue Ribbon Beer, brewed by the first of the great Milwaukee brewers. And by the New York Yankees. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Bob Gamir, and this is Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, New York, in all its splendor for what is traditionally the biggest day of the season here at Yankee Stadium. And it's been made big by the many great Yankee ball clubs that have played here, 29 American League pennant winners and 20 world championship teams. It's old-timers day here at Yankee Stadium. And today, featuring a game between Casey Stengel's all-time, all-new Yankee ball clubs, and Casey Stengel's all-time opponents. It'll be followed by the regular season game between the first-place Baltimore Orioles and the second-place New York Yankees. And what excitement on hand at Yankee Stadium today. You see right now from the center field bleachers looking towards home plate with this big crowd that's on hand. And you see the general area where the ceremonies will be taking place. There you see some of the old Yankees, some of the former ones. That's Tommy Henrick right there signing autographs. Old reliable One, Tommy Henrick. Two. All of these Yankees will be introduced one by one out at home plate, as well as Casey Stengel's all-time all-opponent ball club. And what an afternoon it should be. What an afternoon it's already been in the Yankee uh, locker room. There you see Jerry Coleman right in front along with Bill Dickey. Just to go down in the Yankee locker room before the ball game and see these fellows getting dressed, Jolt and Joe DiMaggio standing by his old locker, fellows like Jerry Coleman, and there, of course, Yogi Berry, you see right in the forefront of your picture. All of these great Yankees all together mingling with the new young Yankees that you'll be seeing a little bit later on in this afternoon's program. Whitey Ford, of course, our colleague. You've seen him many times. There's the big chief, Allie Reynolds. You can just about see his picture. And in the meantime, we're getting ready for the ceremonies out in the center of the field. And one by one, they'll be introduced. And then you'll get a chance to see them all play in a three-inning ball game. Charlie Keller right out in front, as well as uh, Yogi Berra alongside. But we'll be going down to the field, and the picture will speak for itself. And you can go back over the years, not only of the great Yankees, but also the men that played against them, especially the men that played against them in the World Series. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Yankee Stadium. At this time, we'd like to introduce your master of ceremonies for the program, the Yankee announcer, Frank Messer. Thank you very much, Bob Shepard. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Yankee Old-Timers Day. We have a big program today, and we hope you enjoy it. With me here, as official hosts from the Yankees, are the club president, Mike Burke, and the executive vice president, general manager, Lee McPhail. And now, ladies and gentlemen, to serve as co-hosts, 
representing baseball. The commissioner, Mr. Bowie Kuhn. American League president and Hall of Fame shortstop, Joe Cronin. And the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame at Cooperstown, New York, Mr. Paul Kerr. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know by now, the theme of this 24th annual New York Yankees Old-Timers Day revolves around the manager of the Yankees from 1949 through 1960, when the Bombers won 10 pennants and 7 world championships. An unprecedented record. The man who helped make this record possible and the outstanding opponents in seasonal and World Series play are our guests here at Yankee Stadium today. This is a rather young old-timer. Happily, he's a Yankee right now. He first came up under Casey Stengel in 1955. He followed in the footsteps of two great catchers, Bill Dickey and Yogi Berra. In the 58 series, Casey played him in the outfield, and he won the Babe Ruth Award. A member of nine Yankee pennant winners, here's Elston Howard. Next, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome a 307 lifetime hitter who garnered 205 base hits in his rookie season with the Boston Red Sox. A Boston hero, he was one of the league's top shortstops for a decade. Welcome back, Johnny Pesky. Nineteen fifty-six is the year remembered by our next guest. He won eighteen games and pitched a three-hit shutout in the seventh and final game of the World Series that fall. Welcome back, Johnny Cooks. This next fellow is on the wrong side today. He's the able third-base coach of the Baltimore Orioles. But back in the mid-50s, he was the smooth-fielding shortstop of the New York Yankees. Let's greet Billy Hunter. Another great opponent with the Tigers, Indians, and the San Francisco Giants in the 1962 World Series. A lifetime 303 hitter, he was an all-star seven times. From Milwaukee, welcome Harvey Keene. Our next guest not only was a fine ball player, but a truly fine man. He put in 11 wonderful seasons as a Yankee second baseman. And he was the slugging, yes, slugging star of the 1960 and 61 World Series. He had 12 RBIs and a Grand Slam homer in the 60 Classic. His contributions to baseball were no greater, though, than his contributions to his fellow men. 
Bobby Richardson. As you know, the Yankees' traditional rivals are the Boston Red Sox. Here's a fellow who played for them for ten seasons, made seven all-star teams, and was named Boston's all-time greatest third baseman. A native of the Bronx, but now a Boston resident, Frank Malzone. Here's a fine defensive first baseman and outfielder who hit two home runs in one World Series game in 1955. From New Jersey, welcome back, Joe Collins. Casey won five in a row. He didn't lose until the Indians beat him out in 1954. This next fellow, a Cleveland legend, almost did it himself with a 10th inning homer in a key win in 1954. He led the league in homers and RBIs in 1954. He hit 21 of his 253 homers right here in Yankee Stadium. A warm welcome back to Yankee Stadium, Larry Doby. a native New Yorker who came to the Yankees from the White Sox. He won 21 games in 1951, posted a 16-4 record with a league-leading 2.43 earned run average in 1953. A cunning southpaw, a former Major League manager and general manager, now affiliated with the Montreal Expos, here's Steady Eddie Lopat. An American League catching stalwart for 18 seasons with the Cleveland Indians, this fine gentleman set a host of defensive records. He starred in two World Series and two All-Star games. He caught three no-hitters, and now he is the valued bullpen and catching coach of the Yankees, Jim Egan. next guy, well, he was really Casey's type of ball player. He had color, sparkle, and ability. A tremendous competitor, he won the Babe Ruth Award and hit 500 in the 1953 World Series. And his catch in the final game saved the series for New York. The former Minnesota Twin manager, welcome back, Billy Martin. won the American League earned run average as a Yankee in 1957, we are honoring this crafty little softball today as a member of the Philadelphia Athletics. As a Stengel opponent in 1952, he posted a 24 and 7 mark. 
and was named the American League's most valuable player. Here's Bobby Shantz. You know, Casey Stengel always liked versatility in a ball player. He practically invented platoon-type baseball. This next guest was one of his most valuable. He won all-star honors at three different positions. Was the first rookie ever to hit a World Series Grand Slam homer. Rookie of the Year, 1951. One of Casey's greatest, Gil McDougald. The American League Rookie of the Year in Casey's first season as a Yankee manager. This fine fellow won the Babe Ruth World Series Award in 1950. A fine second baseman, a marine flyer and hero, a great guy, a great friend of mine. Welcome home, Jerry Coleman. This man hit 371 lifetime home runs. He led the American League in RBIs in 1965. One of Cleveland's greatest sluggers and most popular players, he wound up his career as a Yankee in 1968. In fact, he even won a game as a pitcher here at Yankee Stadium. Welcome, Rocky Colavito. Here's a man who played a major role in the winning of Casey Stengel's last world championship in 1958. He won 21 games in the season, two more plus a save in the World Series, and was named the American League's first Cy Young Award winner. Welcome back, Bullet Bob Turley. Ladies and gentlemen, at this point in our program, we were going to introduce that outstanding left-handed relief specialist of Casey's first Yankee season. He was here last night, but he took sick at the ball game, and he is unable to be here in person today. We hope he recovers quickly. Would you please give a big hand for Joe Page? Also, we were to introduce a man who pitched for our guest of honor in his first three years as Yankee manager. His greatest season was his rookie year of 1947 when he won Rookie of the Year honors. However, he was injured in an accident. He is hospitalized in Connecticut. Another hand, please, for Frank Specks Shea. This next slugger doesn't live here anymore, but we'll never forget him. Big, friendly, he can hit the ball a mile. A great competitor in the clutch. He hit 429 in five All-Star games. 
played in seven Yankee series and hit a grand slam for the Yankees in the winning 56 Classic. Welcome back, Bill Moose Scourin. Twice the American League batting champion with Washington, this outstanding first baseman's playing career spanned four decades, the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. He was the manager of the expansion Washington Senators and now pilots the Richmond Braves. A hello to Mickey Vernon. Another of Casey's favorites. None of us will ever forget his fabulous feat in the 1956 World Series. His perfect game against the Dodgers will stand out for all time as one of baseball's greatest achievements. With 97 pitches, he threw his perfect no-hitter here on October 8, 1956. Here is Don Larson. What an opponent this next man was. He played in seven World Series, six against the Yankees. He was National League batting champion in 1953 with a batting average of 344. And remember that arm? What a rifle. Welcome back, Brooklyn Dodgers, Carl Ferrillo. This gentleman hasn't been back to Yankee Stadium in a dozen years, but he was an exciting performer, a wild, hard-throwing left-hander. He won 15 games each of Casey's first two years as Yankee manager. Then, after a few years away, he came back to win comeback honors with 16 wins in 1955. A veteran of six series games, one of Casey's favorites, welcome Tommy Byrne. At the age of 33, this man broke into the majors with 20 wins with the Boston Braves. He completed his active career as a successful Yankee right-hander. He was Casey's pitching coach for most of Stengel's career, and he's the Yankee pitching coach right now. Here's the milkman, Jim Turner. Cleveland has produced a lot of our Stengel opponents today. And here's another one. A fine outfielder for the Indians and a lifetime 312 hitter. He provided the final Dodger out to Don Larson's perfect game. From Oklahoma, here's Dale Mitchell. Three straight years. This man won 21 games for manager Casey Stengel. He was outstanding on the record five straight world championship Yankee teams from 1949 through 1953. He was a World Series winner five times, 
our old friend, the Springfield Rifle, Vic Rashi. We welcome next a local boy who played briefly for the Yanks late in his career. But he won his spurs as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers. A 21 game winner in 1947, he was a World Series opponent in Casey's first Yankee series. Let's greet Ralph Blanca. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this next man lends class to any event. He used baseball as a stepping stone to a brilliant career as a heart specialist. A fine hitter, he never batted less than 333 in World Series play. From Fort Worth, Texas, here's Dr. Bobby Brown. A native of Glasgow, Scotland, but now a worthy citizen of the metropolitan area, this man played for the New York Giants and Boston Braves. He hit 264 lifetime home runs, but one was the shot heard round the world. It won the 51 pennant for the Giants in the historic playoff with the Dodgers. Here's Bobby Thompson. Casey's most dependable moundsman when the Yankees were capturing the incredible five straight world championships. This burly, husky, rough competitor won seven World Series games with an earned run average of 2.81. He pitched two no-hitters in 1951 when he was New York's player of the year. The super chief, Ali Reynolds. A Yankee star on Casey Stengel's five straight world championship teams. This man had a fine 17-year major league career, hitting a lifetime 284. Now, he's a Yankee scout in Ohio. Welcome home, Gene Woodling. In 1951... Casey's Yankees met the Giants in another Subway Series. This fellow led the Giants in RBIs for the season. He only hit 451 against the Yankees in the series, got four hits in the first game and stole home. Now a member of the commissioner's staff, welcome Muddy Irvin. An all-time great catcher, this next guest played in 100 or more games a record 13 consecutive years. Lifetime, he hit 313 with 202 home runs, led the league in fielding six times. He was in eight World Series and eight All-Star games. He was a coach under Stengel for nine years. Welcome back from Little Rock and the Hall of Fame, Bill Dickey.
spectacled little fellow looks more like the New England business executive he is rather than the dynamic center fielder of the Boston Red Sox. With his brother, he came to the majors from San Francisco, was perhaps the finest defensive outfielder of his time. He compiled an 11-year, 298 batting average. Let's greet Dominic DiMaggio. A member of one of the greatest outfields of all time, this man was player of the year in 1949, Casey's first as the Yankee manager. In all, he was a six-time World Series performer with the Yankees. He hit the game-winning homer in the series opener with the Dodgers in 49, old reliable himself, Tommy Henrik. Here's a first-time old-timer, but he really belongs. He had a 19-plus year career in the American League with Detroit, St. Louis, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Boston. He was some competitor. He played 1,860 games. He had 266 home runs and was the victim of Willie Mays' great catch in the 54 series. A big hello to Vic Wirtz. We find a way to get this next man back here most every year. Old-timers day just wouldn't be the same without him. But he had credentials too. With Tommy Hendrick and Joe DiMaggio, he helped form one of the greatest outfields of all time. From his Yankee land farms in Maryland, welcome Charlie Keller. The Cleveland Indians are well represented today, for they were formidable, formidable opponents of the Yankees in the early 50s and stopped the Yankees' five-year championship string with a pennant in 1954. A 23-game winner in 54, and the last 300-game winner in baseball, now a scout for the Minnesota Twins' early win. Ladies and gentlemen, no old-timers day is complete without an introduction of our first ladies of Yankee baseball. First, in box 31A, on the home plate side of the Yankee dugout, the widow of the babe, Mrs. Claire, Mrs. Babe Root. First time at an old-timers day game, seated with Mrs. Ruth, the babe's daughter, Mrs. Julia Ruth Stevens. Also seated on the home plate side of the Yankee dugout, in box 35A, the widow of the immortal Lou Gehrig, Mrs. Eleanor Gehrig.
ladies and gentlemen, this fellow was a pretty good catcher, but he played behind Yogi Berra. So he made it big as a coach and manager. After minor league seasoning at Denver, he returned as Casey's first base coach and later the successful Yankee manager, welcome Ralph Hauck. sometimes we question the need of the man in blue, but I know Casey admires the umpiring profession. This man was an American League ump from 1938 to 1955. He worked two World Series and is still an ardent fan. From Yonkers, here's Bill Grieve. A dominant man in the American League during Casey's early days, here was this next giant of a man. He had been a great National Football League center with Green Bay and the Giants, and from 1936 through 1951, a fine American League umpire. Until this year, when he retired, he was supervisor of American League umpires. Welcome, Big Cal Hubbard. It's great to have this tough competitor back. He was one of Casey's finest during that great decade of the 50s. A fine outfielder, he set a record of hitting safely in 17 consecutive World Series games, more than most people see in a lifetime. Former Baltimore and Oakland manager and all-time Yankee great, Hank Bauer. No baseball crowd in either league needs an introduction to this illustrious member of baseball's Hall of Fame. Three times he won the National League's Most Valuable Player Award. He had more home runs in one season, 41, than any other catcher. His fabulous career was cut short by an automobile accident. We are proud indeed to have him here today. Welcome Roy Campanella. be fun for me to bring this next fellow out here. He was voted the greatest ever at his position as a Yankee last year. A former Babe Ruth World Series award winner, he was the American League's most valuable player in 1950. The Yanks' greatest shortstop and my broadcasting sidekick, the scooter, Bill Rizzuto.
the age of 25, this handsome fellow became the manager of the Cleveland Indians. He won a pennant in 1948 when he was player of the year, hitting 355 and winning most valuable player honors. His exciting feats were rewarded last week when he was named to Baseball's Hall of Fame. And thus is a special honored guest here today. Welcome, Lou Boudreau. When he retired three years ago, this future Hall of Famer had won more games than any Yankee ever, 236. He compiled the highest winning percentage in history for pitchers with 200 or more wins. A 25-game winner and Cy Young Award winner in 1961, and now a part-time Yankee broadcaster, welcome Whitey Ford. have been a Yankee trademark through the years. This favorite surely was among the best. A future Hall of Famer, he owns a long list of offensive and defensive records. He hit the first World Series pinch homer and set a record for catchers with 358 homers in all. He played 2,116 games as a Yankee and managed the 1964 pennant winners. Now a New York Met coach, he's always at home and welcome at Yankee Stadium, Yogi Berra. made his mark in our national game off the diamond. He had three separate careers, all of them eminently successful. He was first a highly respected sports writer and broadcaster, then the longtime president of the National League, and from 1951 through 1965, the commissioner of baseball. For all of this, he was inducted last week into baseball's Hall of Fame. Let's welcome Mr. Ford C. Frick. So many of the men we honor here today served during the tenure of one man as general manager of the Yankees that we would like to have him take a very deserved bow. Most of these are his boys. Seated in the mezzanine box on the first base side of the press box is the former top man of the Yankees and Mets. Please stand for a bow, Mr. George Weiss. Casey Stengel was stopped only twice in his 12-year Yankee career. The Indians did it in 1954 and the White Sox in 1959. The same man engineered the upset in each case. Stengel's longtime friend from Tampa, our next guest. As manager of the loyal opposition, one of the great catchers and managers, and one of the real great guys in baseball, thanks for being with us, Mr. Al Lopez.
of the great Yankee center fielders, this man in a lifetime 325 in four World Series. And last week, he won his rightful place as the 16th Yankee in baseball's Hall of Fame. A special guest of honor today, the Kentucky Colonel, Earl Combs. Ladies and gentlemen, the records of this next guest are so tremendous that we would be here all day if we cited them. Suffice it to say that last year he was named the greatest living center fielder, the greatest all-time center fielder, and the greatest living ball player. Climax. Here is a man who hit more home runs than any other Yankee except Babe Ruth. 536 at all. Three times he was named the league's most valuable player, Mickey Mantle. we should recognize the very fine lady who made this all possible. In the box next to the Yankee dugout, Casey's better half, Mrs. Edna Stengel. Mrs. Stengel. And now, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce our guest of honor today, by tradition, the longtime voice of the Yankees, certainly another all-time great in his profession, Mr. Mel Allen.
much, Frank. Hello there, everybody. It gives one a great feeling of pride and prejudice. Prejudice in the sense that every club could not have boasted as many wonderful players on the one side as I see here. Pride in having been with ball players that are on both sides. Particularly proud am I today to be able to present the man who managed most of these players whom you see out here or managed against them. Our guest of honor, now 80 wonderful years old. So without further ado, may I present to you and bring out here the one and the only, Casey Stengel. Continuation at the beginning of side two after a 60-second delay. special reason why Mel Allen brought you out here today. Mel has called from the Yankee dugout every player whose uniform has been retired here. Lou Gehrig's number four, Babe Ruth's number three, Joe DiMaggio's number five, and last year, Mickey Mantle's number seven. Today, Casey... As a surprise and unique tribute to you, the Yankees are retiring your famous number 37. And to present you... To present you with your own number 37 Yankee uniform, here are the two players with you the longest as a Yankee, Yogi Berra and Whitey Ford. I thank you very much. I should say thank you for the guests. If you hadn't taken care of me, you wouldn't have had these great ball players here. And since they are so great, if it wasn't for them and you folks that put me up here in this uniform 37, thank you very much. I've now got one. I'll die in it. Thank you.
Thank you very much, Casey. In addition to your regular gift, the Yankees have a fine imported oil portrait of you at Edna Stengel from a photo of you 10 years ago when you celebrated your 70th birthday here at Yankee Stadium. Casey Stengel here, and uh, of course today Casey's being honored. He's been honored just about all week. The mayor gave you a day. Uh, it was Casey Stengel Day yesterday at City Hall, Casey. Yes, sir. I thought that was a streak coming to this city. I never thought it playing with Brooklyn, playing with, uh, you might say, over in Queens, and then playing here with the Yankees and also with the Giants. I never thought I'd ever get to control the city, and he allowed me to control the city up to 12 o'clock tonight. And I'm watching these big prospects that came here that are so amazing that I wouldn't have been here without they were there with their terrific records. You could stand and talk about each one for one hour and a half because, and then you wouldn't cover what each one had did for this year, Paul Coblin, as a manager. That keeps me here now. I hope they get in after 12 o'clock because I don't want to find any of them tonight because tomorrow the mayor will be running the city again. Paul, oh, you might not be, Case, if you do a good job, but... I think you were a little surprised today when they retired your number. I know I was. Well, that's the funny thing. I'll tell you the truth now. It's been... I didn't realize here that men now, at this here time, that I haven't got a uniform for 10 years. And uh, the Mets retired one uniform. And this year, they dressed me up beautiful here. I, they covered up my breast that was growing. And uh, not only that, I said I noticed that I was very active and I... I feel better around the stomach with a very small enlargement. And now I'm going to take that 37, and I have it after, well, I'd say 10 years. I'm going to take it, and I'll keep it in my hand, and I hope they bury me in it. That's how much I think that it was wonderful of them to do it. I never realized when I go out and see out there three or four names and the monuments and what they were and how big those men were that I they would do that. I never had a time to think of that when I was out uh, on the mound, you might say, a while ago. But to think now that they've done that, that is really something terrific. But as I say, if it wasn't for the public that come in here, and if it wasn't that the players had been so amazing, each one of them just think when I looked at five outfielders out there, they were all terrific. Just think of some of the men that I had that were on the infield. The infielder were terrific. Just think the best part that I had that helped me was when a war come in, I had some men that were terrific. I remember the club finished just a close shirt, a good manager, uh, Bucky Harris, a terrific manager, that I come in and when I took the club, and I saw that when you played shortstop and all, I thought you played five years and you had a terrific asset nobody ever knew was so great. And the one was that they got you in a trap play. I thought you was an amazing man. When you got in there, it looked like they had you. Then they didn't have you. Then they told her the right. Then they told her the left. And they said, oh, there he comes. There he goes. And you'd go wing, 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 them little steps, you know, and then you'd be safe. Now, other men couldn't do it. And the only time I ever saw Dickie laugh for three years as a coach was when you'd get in a trap play and you'd get out of it. And you'd go, Rup! and he says, well, McCarty used to give me the devil. I never could catch any of those fellas. So that was one asset I know you had. And I thought, too, another thing that I thought you did great before you went into this business of being a broadcaster, you could pull a ball better than anybody I ever saw when I come into big league. You could grunt better. The greatest play was ever made for the Yankees, in my personal opinion, was you at the plate and DiMaggio at the bat on third. 
The master showed me four or five reasons how you should run third base if you were a base runner. The greatest pitcher would say Lemon was pitching, and you were up at the plate, and you executed a quick bunt play down the third, uh, down the first baseline in which the man came in and threw the ball over the fence. He should have been suspended, but it cost him the pennant. That game there was the most perfect bunt I ever saw with the man careful, the man just running, just properly at the right time, and you at the plate to execute the play. I thought you bunted the ball high inside better than anybody. That was the most terrific play I saw for uh, intelligence, ability, and skill for the runner and skill for yourself in which you didn't let the pitcher, if he's wind-up or without a wind-up, know what you're going to do in the infield either at the time. It's perfection. Casey, I certainly appreciate the nice things you said, but I want to talk about you. Now, you are celebrating your 80th birthday, right? That's true, yes. And I've never seen you look better, and all through the years that I played under you as manager, you would be the last one to bed. You would have a talk with anybody who would listen, always very interesting, and you'd be the first one up, and you're 80 years old and you got more pep than anybody. Is there any kind of a secret that maybe we can follow? Well, I'll tell you... I don't say you ought to follow that new infield and outfield they have now. What do they call that? Uh, what is that infield and outfield they have now where they oh, put the this? Astroturf. Yes, oh, the no. astroturf. Oh, I can't gain, gain astroturf because if I was a third baseman or first baseman, these big oxes that are playing now that you just carry for hitting, they're going to have too much trouble. And in the outfield and the infield on a bunt play, if you went up and bunted down on the ball, I mean, there were efficient and you'd bump down on the ball, how can the pitcher throw you out if it's a high bouncer? He's got to wait for it and catch it and throw. I really think that uh, it'll make it harder to play third and first if they do hit down on the ball because you can't get a quick play. And I also think that uh, uh, that's, uh, that's more of a fake business now than I think. I think the pitching is better. I think everybody's got a chance to hit better because of that turf because Zachary told me he was a terrific hitter. Always line up and hit down on the ball, and if you hit down on, on this ball now and hit it as hard as you can, some of these short stops and the pitcher aren't going to catch it, and I think the pitcher's going to have to wear a, a catcher's mask because you're going to lose two or three of these boys. Well, I tell you, then you're for the old-fashioned grass and outdoor baseball, right? That's right. I used to remember in the outfield, they didn't know how when we did in the last five or six years, this club was perfection on getting the ball and cutting it off. I never saw how our club could stop a rally. When you'd throw that ball in the outfield and you'd catch it on the infield and you'd charge a little towards second instead of standing still, deceived the coaches at third and first and the base runners, it made you charge the ball, you'd make a quick play like that, and when you made that quick play, you cut off this much that you catch the man, the base runner. And they didn't know that was going to happen. And a smart outfielder that threw in front of you was the best thing in the world because you could charge it and handle the ball terrific. And that's why we cut it off. And therefore, we got, uh, got a chance for a double play. And we only had one run an inning instead of five or six to play. Like today, these boys kind of insulted me sitting there. Wow. I allowed them to get ahead of me in this here game here. And I was a little careless on this bench after a minute. But to tell you the truth about that, what we ought to do, uh, I don't want to say this, but Campanella was the best catcher, you know, in the league. And I was uh, wondering if why they didn't put Campy in there to see if I couldn't sneak a run or two. But I see Martin's the same. 
Oh. He ran into the man. I thought he was going to kiss the catcher. <laughs> He's just so nice, you know. I said, well, does he like him that well? And if he did, he should steal the ball. He shouldn't just right take it right out of his hand. I think he'll have a, a lawsuit here because I think his lungs are going to be bad tonight. He might have a bad breath of this, and I hope he gets a good job. Martin helped build this here ball club as good as anybody for being a young man. He had more egotism and grit and nerve, and he always uh, started in, could hit a curveball when he was good, and he did better. And I thought when you kind of changed and instead of hit too close, I thought the last of your career, a ball you could hit to, to the shortstop going over, you could hit that side of him, you could place your ball in. I thought another one was Barra. One time, Barra, I thought, could have led the league. But he'd hit foul up there. You know, he had tough uh, Italians up there to hit the ball to. And he didn't, uh, he was in that uh, business, you know. Oh, yeah. That, uh, well, it was the uh, milk business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was in that business at that time. And he says, I'll get one of them of the boys for up there. You see, at this time. And the second thing I told you, that when I told Dickie he should do that, and when I saw that you did it, you was a better hitter. And I want to tell you, Barra became a better hitter. When he went south, it took him six weeks to try and hit a ball to left fielder to center. And then if they changed up on it, he got a home run. And one year, he broke me down trying to get off of this bench and looking down there and hearing foul ball, foul ball. He spotted everybody two strikes. Oh, you're going to lead the league home run. But I think that Barrow was great for those terrific pitches. Reynolds, Rashi, Lopez, through this way, that way. Barrow with a big sponge glove he had. And I think the greatest thing I think Barrow ever had Saved him with Reynolds at all. He could catch a foul tip with that sponge he had, that glove. Uh -huh. And it was the best thing to sit on I ever saw, but it insulted him. He didn't want that big glove. He wanted to make out of uh, bronze, I guess it is, down his house. We had six catchers now over with the Mets, uh, not switching over. And now I don't know whether he's helping those catchers or not. Now the other catchers are using his bit, but they can't play anymore. So I guess Bear is now going to be a sensation for our club. We've got him going good. I'm glad to see Martin. I hope he gets back into baseball. You can't go down and play in a minor league for a ball club and develop a club and then come back upstairs. It's a shame they don't put him back in baseball immediately. Well, I'm with you 100%. Casey, thank you very much. Enjoyed it very much, and we'll see you tonight. Uh, thank you very much. I'll have Mr. Stingle down there tonight. She's wearing all the Yankee medals, and I wear now a uh, Hall of Fame medal like uh, Joe DiMaggio that never made a mistake. And it dropped one ball once, I think, but I don't know when it was. It wasn't under me. So uh, now he said, I'll take any glove, but I was afraid they'd take a new one. He couldn't catch it. Okay, Casey. Thank you very He never did answer my question. I asked Casey, I said, what makes you so healthy at the age of 80? And he talked about everything but that. It'll take me about four innings to recuperate from that, so let's go back up to the booth. All right, Phil, thank you very much. Well, we told you a moment ago that we were shocked when Casey spoke for such a brief period of time out on Yankee Stadium infield. And we said he'd get a chance to talk tonight, perhaps with a party at Pitch Shores, but you just heard him. Unbelievable. He has got to be as clear and as lucid as he was 15 years ago. You youngsters who were just seeing Casey for the first time, that's the way he was 15 years ago and 20 years ago and 25 years ago. One of the great talkers and double talkers of all time, not only in sports but out of sports. Just ask him a question and he'll go on and on and on and on. And I didn't think Phil was going to get the microphone back wrong. So the old-timers part of the program has been completed.